0: Welcome to the Lex City Church podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church.
1: You know, wrapping paper by its very design, right? It's supposed to hide and conceal, at times even deceive us of what the contents are that are hidden underneath that, right? Well, this, uh, this year for our Christmas series, we want to talk a little bit about this idea of unwrapping Christmas right, pulling away all of the commercialism, all of the glitter, all of the little stories we might have heard and think the Christmas story might be around, and take time to just really look at what it is the Word of God has to say to us. And we want to look at this, and to help us there, we're going to follow a doctor, a Dr. Luke. And uh, Dr. Luke, in the New Testament, followed the Apostle Paul uh, through his journeys. The Apostle Luke wrote two books, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. The interesting thing is Luke used more words in those two books than any of the other apostles in all the other books that are written, all right? Here's what we need to be reminded. Luke is a doctor, so details matter. Correctness matters to him, and he reminds us over and over that the power of the story is going to be found in the details of the story, and so as he writes this, it's probably no wonder that the Christmas story that we are all most familiar with, that the one that we probably read the most, if you read the Christmas story before you open presents or whatever you do there, is found in Luke chapter 2 because it gives us so much insight into what is happening at the theme. So here is Luke, right, the doctor. And we're gonna see again that what he values is he values facts, historical accuracy, over emotions, over feeling. Feelings over flowery words. And so, as Luke begins the Christmas story, he doesn't start with once upon a time, right? Or uh, a tale as old as time, or in a galaxy far, far away, right? This is not the way Luke starts the story. Uh, No, he wants to remind us this is not a fairy tale. This is a historical account of the birth of the Messiah. And so, for Luke, all the little details really matter, because in the detail becomes the power. So as we look at this story for you that probably for many of you is familiar, can I encourage us over these next few weeks is to be reminded that sometimes in the detail is where the power and the wonder really lies. And so God chose Luke to share this story. And as he begins, he shares it this way to remind us how important this is. In Luke chapter 1, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. So Luke says, Listen, many people have been trying to record what has been happening in history. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time, to write in orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke says, listen, I'm going to write these things, and I want to write them in such accuracy that they create in you confidence that what I'm sharing with you is true. I want to write this in such a way that you have confidence in the birth of the Messiah in this birth of Jesus. So over the next few weeks, we want to do that. We want to take time and read what may be familiar with to us, but in a new light, and pay attention to the details, because Luke says, in the details is where the wonder all begins. And my hope is that is true for us. So Luke opens the story. It's really fascinating in Luke. He doesn't open it with the main character. He doesn't even open the story with the main couple, right, who's central to the whole Christmas story. Uh, we don't open the story with a hillside where the shepherds are, or we're not opening a, on the back of camels. Luke says, I want to remind you, I want to start the story by giving you context of the state of the world. Because the story he's about to share is not just a story for Bethlehem. It's not just a story for the Jewish people. It's a story for the whole world. So Luke begins by says, I'm going to give you a 30,000 Viewpoint perspective. What's happening in the world today? And as Luke starts in Luke chapter 2, that this perspective from 30,000 feet, it, it's not a happy, go lucky, great perspective. It, it's a dark perspective on the state of the world. It's a dark perspective of what's happening in the heart of mankind at this moment. But what we're going to see over and over in the Christmas story, all throughout scripture, the whole story of the gospel, right? Is when times are the darkest, the light shines the brightest. And Luke says, this is the context of the story of Jesus. So he's going to give us two things. He's going to give us a biblical context and then he's going to give us a global context of what's happening to set the tale for the story that he's about to share. And Luke starts and the writings of Luke are so significant because this. It ends what's known as the intertestamental period or the 400 years of silence. The book and writing of Luke is what breaks the gap between the 400 years of silence. Refers to the 400 years from the Old Testament to the 400 years before the New Testament was written, and in those 400 years, as much as we know, God did not speak, and no scripture was written. Okay, this is what you got to remember as we start there. 400 years of silence. That's there. So for at least three generations, possibly four generations, God seems distant. God seems disinterested. God does not seem to care because he has not spoken and things have not been written. And in that moments of silence of 400 years, a spiritual disillusionment has happened globally around between not only pagans, but amongst the Jewish people. Think for the pagan world. The pagan world's beginning to question the validity of of polytheism, the, the belief of many, many gods, right? In Rome, what was the big religion of the time? It was mythology, right, and so the pagan world begins to look at this mythology, and all they're hearing is stories of these little G-gods, and all these great mythical stories that are entertaining, but let's be honest, Greek mythology does not drive you to live a more godly and righteous life, all this is is stories of little G-gods who are as morally bankrupt as the people who are reading the stories, and they're beginning to look and say, if that's all there is, that's not very inspiring, incest, jealousy, anger, I mean, vengeance, all the things that are true in Greek mythology. So there's a bewilderment there. In the Jewish world, it's not a great time either, right? These are people who have been conquered, they've been oppressed, they're a defeated people. The only thing that's giving them any sense of hope is a promise in this prophecy, right, of a Messiah who will come. And their hope is that someday a deliverer, like in the days of Moses, will come and save them from the situation, but there have been 400 years. and God's been silent. 400 years and the prayers seem like they're going nowhere. That's the context. So Luke says, in the midst of all that, I wanna introduce you to a character, and it's not the character that you may think for the Christmas story. So if you've got your Bibles, unwrap them. Let's go to Luke chapter two. If you've got your phones, you go to lexcity.info. If you're new with us this morning, so glad you're here. All the sermon notes are there at Lexity.info. I got a little video for you, linked there. A little bit later, you can look at that as we go. Luke chapter two, verse one. Familiar starting. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So, who's Caesar Augustus, and why, of all the characters, does Luke start with Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus—he's not even in my nativity set. I mean I've got sheep, I've got donkeys, I've got the third uncle of Mary's last cousin. I mean they're all there. Caesar goes nowhere to be seen, right? So why is this important? And why, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does Luke feel it's important to say you need to understand who this person is because it sets the context. And details are important to Luke because that's where the wonder and the power. So this morning, here you go. I'm going to give you two minutes, Roman Empire, family tree, legacy uh, catch-up, right? I'm have a quiz after this, but here's what I want you to get for this little two minutes of inspiration. How did this guy named Octavian become Caesar of all of Rome? Here's your two minutes. Here we go. Officially,
0: Caesar had only one biological child, Julia. Before the Civil War, she had been forced to marry the much older Pompey in order to cement the political alliance. However, Julia died in childbirth, and therefore Caesar ended up adopting his sister's grandson, the future Augustus, as his son and heir. At the time, Augustus was known as Octavian. Thus, after Caesar's assassination, a second triumvirate was formed, this time an official one with Octavian being made one of the three rulers. The other two were Mark Antony and Lepidus, both of whom had been close allies of Caesar, Lepidus being yet another son-in-law of Caesar's lover Servilla. However, like the first triumvirate, the second triumvirate didn't last long. Lepidus was eventually kicked out, and then Mark Antony and Octavian went head to head. One of the reasons for this was that even though Mark Antony had married Octavian's sister Octavia, he was also having a relationship with Cleopatra, the pharaoh of Egypt and former lover of Julius Caesar. In fact, Mark Antony and Cleopatra had several children together, and there was a fear that those children would one day become powerful monarchs. There was also the fact that Unofficially, Julius Caesar did actually have another biological child, a son, with Cleopatra named Caesarion. So, Octavian declared war on Cleopatra, meaning that he was also at war with Mark Antony. Octavian then went on to win the famous Battle of Actium, after which Cleopatra and Mark Antony committed suicide. Caesarion was murdered and Egypt was annexed by Rome. Three years later, in 27 BCE, Octavian was given the title of Augustus, meaning venerable. Thus, 27 BCE is the date that most historians use for the start of the Roman Empire.
1: All right, your quiz will be later on that one. But here's the point that I want you to remind, right? Octavian was not actually Julius Caesar's direct son to the lineage's there? We pick up the story... Cleopatra was a busy woman back in those days, right? And if you want a little history on the battle, the naval battle that gave Octavian the victory, I've got a little link, don't look at it now while I'm preaching, but look at it later in LexCity.info. It's fascinating on how Octavian. Here's the point I want to say. Nobody is now a threat to Octavian. He has now defeated the two other folks that had a right to the throne other than him, and Octavian sits in sole authority and sole power. He is now known as Octavian Caesar. But Octavian decides that name is not good enough for me and who I am. I have conquered all. I now rule the entire known world. And so he decides to change his name to Caesar Augustus or Augusta. That name is significant and it shocks Rome and it shocks the Roman Senate because the word Augustus was a religious name, not a political name. The word Augustus means to to honor, to revile, to illuminate, to view as being holy. And so what Octavian is now saying, you will refer to me as Caesar Augustus, God over all mankind, the ruler over all humanity at the time that we know, and so he changes his name to Caesar Augustus. At the moment of that change in Roman history, Rome changes from a republic to an empire, an empire that is now ruled by a little G God known as Caesar Augustus. And Luke says, this is important, he's no longer just a normal Caesar, he is now a Caesar who proclaims himself to be God. Verse two, chapter, one, chapter two, verse one, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So, listen, when you are a deity now, right, and you rule the whole world as known in that time, your subjects now serve you. And as the Caesar of Rome, who is building roads, who has this large army, it takes many resources. And so, your subjects are the people that you will build on their backs. So you're going to build this amazing empire called the Roman Empire. How do you do that? You do it through taxes, right? And so as now the Caesar, you've got to decide who the people are that are under your authority, where they reside, so I can tax them and build this thing called the Roman Empire. And so in one decree, listen to this, the world begins to move. With one decree, everyone is in movement now, returning to their homes as they go. If you're the Jewish people, this is infuriating to you on multiple levels. Uh, here you are. First, Rome has invaded your land, and now they want you to pay taxes for the privilege of living in your very own land. All right? This is oppressive. This is excessive taxation, especially to the poor, who once again, Augustus, will build his empire. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, continue on. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, and this was the first registration when Carinus, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. So Luke is setting the stage. Details are important. He says, I want you to understand, this was not a random time in human history. These were not just random events that were happening. Luke says, I'm about to tell you how the light of the world came into one of the darkest moments in human history. It's a time in in the world where things feel hopeless, where spirituality is empty. It's a time in the world when the bad guys seem like they're winning. And Caesar has set himself on the throne and calls himself Augustus, the God of all mankind. And Luke says, I wanna remind you in that moment on humankind when this seems to be taking place, it's also the time. That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to break 400 years of silence and show up on the scene at the very moment that a man has placed himself on the throne of all mankind. And Luke says, if you're going to understand this story, you've got to understand that God is working behind the scenes. See, if you forget that there are two dimensions of life, the story of Luke chapter 2 is a depressing one. Luke chapter two is simply the story of a young Jewish couple who had a child out of wedlock. They're broke and in an oppressive government takes them to pay taxes for money that they don't have and all is lost. If, if you forget that life is lived on two different dimensions, that there is a spiritual element to things, Luke says you're gonna miss the story. There is no story apart from God working And Luke says, I want to remind you that not a day or an event happens that does not pass through the sovereign hand of God. There is not a ruler who comes to a position of authority that doesn't pass through God's provision and God's allowance for that. That God knows the beginning from the end. We call that divine temporality would be the fancy word for that. In other words, that God is in time, but God is above time. God is not held by just time and space. That God knew the very movement of Caesar and what he would do. God knew that foretold that all these things would happen, he's above it. The Apostle Paul affirms this understanding. Apostle Paul tells us, listen, we, we've gotta be men and women who live understanding there is more than just this physical world and it's just here and now, and in that should give us hope that God is not bound by time and space. 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, chapter four. So we do not lose heart. He says, don't be discouraged, all right? For some of you, that's the thing right here. Like you're here and now is, it's yucky, it's hard, it's depressing, it's discouraging, right? Paul says, I'm not denying your feelings, I'm just telling you, listen, don't lose heart. Through our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, right? There's a bigger thing going on. For the things that we are seeing are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal, right? For some of you, if you heard nothing else this morning, you need to walk away with that reminder that God is working. He's working in your life, even if you can't see it, and especially if you can't even feel it. God, your distance. God, you're so far away. When God seems disinterested in your marriage, in your health situation, in your job projection of what it could be, in your relationship status, in the addictions, the habits that you're trying to overcome, and your finances that seem to weigh you down, when you're feeling overwhelmed and your emotions, right, are are just, they're consuming your very heart and anxiety is so, so strong, Luke says, listen, I'm going to remind you that the story of Luke chapter 2 is not simply a historical count of a Roman census. There's something happening in the background that you're not aware of yet, but it's where the hope lies. So don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. King David. Remember in the Old Testament, King David in Psalms 22. David has this moment where the emotions of his life are just Overwhelming. He's forgotten the truth. He's like, like, this is where the anxiety is coming. And my emotions are telling me one thing about how God is so distant in my life, yet I know the truth is that God is not, so I've gotta combat that. But listen to the state of, of David in verse one. This is where his emotions are. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. You ever been there? God, I'm crying out to you day and night. You don't answer. I'm praying and it seems like it's just hitting the ceiling, right? I have no rest. My anxiety is high. I can't sleep at night. All these things. David said, that's how I'm feeling. These prayers are empty. My my heart feels hollow. But then David makes this choice, right? I'm going to choose to believe the truth rather than believe my feelings, Cause I know where my feelings are leading me. Right now, it's to desperation and despair. So David says, let me remind myself of the truth. Verse three, this is what he says. But yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. David says, listen, I've gotta move my focus from my emotions to the truth. God, this is what I know about you. You can be trusted. God, my fathers, my forefathers, in their despair, cried out to you, and you rescued them. God, if you rescued my forefathers, I know you're going to rescue me, even though I don't feel like it today. So I'm going to lean into this truth, and here's what we know it's true, right? When we lean into truth, it ultimately begins to transform our feelings. So David, we're going to give the next verse that's going to show us the transformation of of his feelings. Today, we're going to have baptism, Right? One of the things we love about doing a baptism, we share testimonies where people share their stories. We share those testimonies, why? Not just to affirm in those folks for how God has worked, but for some of you, the feeling that you have today is just, I'm feeling like God's distant, and I'm praying, and I'm not seeing God moving, and I'm wondering if this faith thing is real. But today you're gonna hear the testimony of people who have seen God move and trusted God and God said great things in your life. So the beauty of that is that's encouraging to my heart. God, I'm watching this, and if you are real in their lives, God, then I'm going to trust you're going to be real in my life. God, I saw you move when they were in the ultimate sense of despair and you showed up, so God, I'm trusting in that. Did you he hear that? That's the, what I'm saying. That's the power of the testimony that's here. So David says, my feelings are here. I'm gonna trust the truth. And part of the truth is the testimony of my fathers and my forefathers. And so that begins to transform his feelings. So look at verse 24. This is where David ends up. For he has not despised or poured the affliction of the afflicted, for he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried, to him, David says, "The truth of this has transformed my feelings." So now, in verse twenty-four, what's David speaking to you and I? Speaking out of confidence, right? God hears, God sees, God answers, even when I don't feel like it in the moment. So this journey, in Luke chapter two, this ordinary journey from Nazareth to Beth to Bethlehem, right? It, it seems so ordinary, but God's going to do something extraordinary in it. And Luke says. Just be reminded that Rome, that Caesar is not acting independent, but rather he's being directed by the hand of God. Luke says, don't forget it, even though you can't see it and you can't feel it, that God is moving in a powerful way and God is going to use. Now, we have the beauty of having some perspective. So we know while this is happening here on earth in this dimension, we know that this is what's happening in the heavenlies. Three things happen. God uses the Roman Empire to accomplish what he wants during this time. First thing, Rome builds through Caesar, through his oppression, but he builds the most amazing road system in human history. 250,000 miles of roads, 113 providences are now connected for the first time in human history. For us, cell phones have transformed and made the world very small. In the time of Luke chapter 2, it was the Roman roads, For the first time, you could travel from city to city, never heard of, never thought of before. You could do that with relative ease. Second thing to happen in the background, Rome is now creating a common language, language of Greek, right? It's what the New Testament was spoken in. So now for the very first time, both Jew and Gentile can communicate together for the first time in human history. Third thing that's happening behind the scenes is that the dominance of the Roman Empire and the dominance of their army brought peace to the land. So for the first time in human history, you could travel from city to city, from church to church, without fear of being killed along the road. So there was peace that came, Pax Romana, right? If you you remember that phrase from school, different things. These three things made the spread of the gospel possible like no other time in human history. So the birth, here's what Luke wants to remind you, the birth of Jesus and the Messiah that gave hope to a delusioned people, it brought a message not only to the whole world, but to the the very first time it could be shared with the whole world because God was using a godless empire to accomplish his goals in an amazing way in human history. This is the context of Luke chapter two. Luke says, can I remind you, it was a time, listen, all was not calm. <laughs> All was not bright. 400 years of silence left people wondering, is there a god? Does this god even care about me? For generations we have been praying and practicing and worshiping and yet God seems so distant. And Luke says, listen. The light is about to shine darkest or brightest in the greatest sense of darkness. Caesar, Augusta, is not winning because God is building roads that will connect the world like never before. The good guys aren't prevailing because God is forming a common language that will adapt to the spread of the gospel like never before in human history The things that seem so ordinary, God is moving in extraordinary ways. And what God is producing in 400 years of silence is fertile soil for the gospel to reach more than just Bethlehem, to reach more than just the Jewish people, to reach the entire world. And 400 years of silence is about to be broken by the greatest story that's ever been told. It's the story of the Messiah and the birth of Jesus your story is still unfolding. And in your story, you may be in a season that you feel like it's 400 years of silence. And God would say to you today, (laughs) don't mistake silence for God not working. Don't mistake this moment of not having direction And the fact that God is not building roads and creating language and creating the soil for what God has for you in this next season. Mary and Joseph, God's been silent. And they're about to embark on this amazing journey we'll talk a little bit more about next week. But God promises them this promise that gives them the hope that I'm going to be with you in what is known and is what is unknown that I have a promise for you promise that we talk about a lot, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So as we close this morning, where in your life, right, do you need to claim that promise? Where in your life do you need to reaffirm that hope? Where do you need to trust God deeper? where you can't see it, you certainly don't feel it. But God, my patience, right? Where does your patience need to grow? Where does your faith need to deepen? God, I've been praying about this job thing for months. It seems like you're giving me nothing. God, I've been praying for my, my child for a decade here and they just still seem, God, where are you at? God won't say, listen, that's three years, that's five years, I, 400 years, <laughs> I was silent and yet I was still working. Where do you need to have patience and allow your faith to grow deeper? Luke says, the powers and the detail <laughs> and the wonders and the things that have been wrapped that we can unwrap and say it is. Luke chapter two, at the moment a man sits on a throne and calls himself Augustus the God, <laughs> our God says, is the moment that I will share my glory with no one. And I'll show you what it really means to be king and ruler. And that's what he wants to show you this Christmas season. Father, this morning, we thank you for the start of that. We thank you for Luke and his details and the history. He's not telling a fairy tale. He's saying this is a moment in human history when the creator of the universe showed up and the silence was broken. God, for some of us today, we are sitting in a season of silence. And we're just waiting. (laughs) God, may our hearts just be encouraged with Luke chapter two, that you are working, that you are preparing, that you know the plans that you have for us, for our good and to prosper us. So today, just give us resilience and patience And trust that our story is still yet fully told. We thank you for that in your name. This morning, we want to continue at a time of baptism. We want to do what uh, David said. Listen, when I'm discouraged, I'm going to gain hope from the testimony of your faithfulness to other people in their lives. And today, you're going to hear some amazing stories of folks who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And decided, I want to go public with my faith through baptism and to testimony. So as they share, remind you again, listen, if you've never uh, taken that act of obedience and baptism, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you'd like to do that today, we had folks that did that last hour. We got a chance to celebrate them. we'd love to celebrate with you. There'll be a team right down forward. Just come on down as you hear these stories and we'd like to celebrate that together. But here is our testimony of our goodness of God.
0: Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit LexCity.Church give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.